This is the IEEE USA Insight Podcast, episode 19, a monthly program featuring news, information, and updates from IEEE USA headquarters in Washington, D.C. And now your host, Chris McMains. Thank you so much, John. Happy New Year, everyone. You know, we can't do anything to change what happened last year, but we can do everything to affect what happens from this day forward. Have you ever celebrated a 25th anniversary? Two signature Engineers Week programs will do so this year. The Future City Competition and Discover Engineering Family Day began in 1993, the first time IEEE USA served as lead society for Engineers Week. Our volunteers and staff played a key role in the formation of both of these Discover E programs. Future City will welcome middle school age teams from around the country and China to Washington, D.C. for its finals February 18th to 21st. In addition to sponsoring the third place award, IEEE USA in 2017 is unveiling a new special award. After handing out the Best Communication System Award each February since 2001, IEEE USA is now going to present the award for Most Advanced Smart Grid. It will be interesting to see how the students perceive the power grid will operate in the future. See futurecity.org for additional information. Discover Engineering Family Day is one of the most popular annual festivals at the National Building Museum. The event introduces children 4 to 12 to engineering and the exciting work that engineers do. Space Shuttle astronaut Dr. Robert Crouch delights youngsters each year with autographs and stories of what it was like to soar through space. This year's Family Day is Saturday, February 18th. For more information, go to engineeringfamilyday.org. If you can't make it to the nation's capital for these Engineers Week events, programs are held throughout the country to celebrate engineers and their achievements. Check with your local section to see what's going on in your area. You can also go to discovere.org. That's discover with an E on the end, dot org. The IEEE USA Award Ceremony will be held during Southeast Con 2017 in Charlotte, North Carolina, March 30th to April 2nd. Southeast Con is sponsored by IEEE Region 3 and the IEEE North Carolina Council. It includes the region's annual meeting, engineering talks, workshops, and tutorials, as well as six student competitions. Check out sites.ieee.org backslash southeastcon2017 to find out more. Now it's time for IEEE USA eBook Corner, highlighting new eBooks for IEEE members. A new IEEE USA eBook can help you develop your project management skills. Project management is probably the most important skill a young engineer can learn. These are the words of a man who should know. Harry T. Roman spent all of his long career directing and consulting on more than $100 million worth of projects and programs within research and development at Public Service Electric and Gas Company, PSENG, in New Jersey. Now this IEEE senior member has written Project Management, an ebook that offers an ideal starting point for engineering professionals who want to learn the basics about this vital career-building competency. 
In clear-cut, direct language, the author explains the concept of project management, offers steps to building a successful team, and warns how not to run a project team. He also provides historical background on the history of project management, including some interesting ties to technological icon Thomas Edison. Roman believes strongly that project management skills are highly prized in any organization. He writes, engineers who can develop new plans for critical products, services, internal process improvements, and special needs technologies, and then combine, manage, and lead others to make these things happen is never going to fear unemployment. In what is perhaps the most valuable chapter in the ebook, Roman details what he believes are the steps to a successful project team. It starts with identifying and selling the problem that the project team will address. The author warns these tasks sound easy enough but are full of potential pitfalls. He encourages readers to make sure the project being recommended meets these five criteria. It must be a problem the company wants to solve. It has value to senior management. It offers enough tangible benefits. The solution can be achieved within a reasonable time frame, and it is compatible with the company's investment philosophy. Project management is available for $1.99 for IEEE members and $3.99 for non-members at shop.ieeeusa.org. I'm Georgia Stelludo for IEEE USA. In the IEEE USA Insight Spotlight, we bring you close up to a newsmaker or public figure with a quick one-on-one interview. This month, Chris talks with Bruce Morrison. Bruce is a former Democratic congressman from Connecticut and represents IEEE USA's interests on high-skill immigration. In this interview, he gives insight into why he thinks Donald Trump won the presidential election and what the outcome could mean for H-1B and green card legislation. Bruce, thank you very much for joining me today. It is one week since the presidential election. Much of the country was surprised by the outcome of, uh, of Donald Trump winning the election over Hillary Clinton. Were you surprised? Yeah, I was surprised and disappointed as a Hillary supporter. And uh, I think virtually everybody was surprised, including the Trump supporters. Yes, I, I would agree. Would you explain to our listeners the fact that you're, you're not just a, a a Hillary supporter, but you know the Clintons and you've known them for quite a number of years? Yes, I've known Bill and Hillary for over 40 years. I went to law school with them and have known them since we were together at Yale Law School. And I've worked with both of them uh, in a number of different roles during the time uh, intervening. And I remember you had told me in an email that you thought she would be a very good president. Well, I I did think she would be a good president, and uh, I haven't changed my view on that just because she lost the election. Um, she had her, her weaknesses, and obviously those weaknesses were more important to a majority of uh, the electoral vote states than, uh, than, it, uh, than not. But um, I think that Hillary has always been a committed uh, workhorse for uh, the needs of people, and that she was that when I knew her in law school, and she's been that ever since, and I think she would have been a highly competent and committed president working on the nation's problems. And I think, uh, as uh, President Obama said about Hillary Clinton, there's probably never been anybody 
as qualified to run for president as her when you consider that, you know, she was first lady for eight years, so she got a firsthand view of the inner workings of the presidency. And then she was a senator from New York and, of course, secretary of state. So kind of wonder how could somebody so qualified not defeat somebody that was so, uh, you know, vilified in the media? Well, before he was vilified in the media, he was created by the media. So um, the media played on both sides of this uh, of this decision. I, I would say that the American people were not focused on competence. The um, the exit polls make it very clear that the reason Donald Trump won was um, the, the desire for change and that Hillary was not viewed as a change agent. She was viewed as you know, a continuation of the Obama administration and uh, a part of the Washington establishment. Donald Trump was very effective in saying to her about anything that she criticized in his behavior and public policy terms, well, if you didn't like those tax rules, why didn't you change them, Hillary? And uh, I think that line turned out to be very effective. So the American people, or at least a significant segment of them, uh, is very unhappy with where the economy is and where they are in the economy. And they decided um, better to take a chance on change than to invest in um, in the past. And it's interesting, you know, in many ways, that's how Obama won. So, um, you know, I think we shouldn't be as surprised as we are. That that's uh, so very true. Everything you said, and I think that's. What I see is a similarity between Donald Trump and Barack Obama. They both seem to really excite people. They got people uh, really interested, really charged up, and and willing to go to the polls for them. Well, yeah, they they charged up different people. And, in fact, the people who provided the margin to Trump voted for Obama, which – is interesting because so many people want to make it about race, but in fact, those white working class people were largely in Obama's corner uh, in 2008 and 2012. So um, change was clearly uh, what people were promised in both instances, and change is the hardest thing to get done in Washington. And as you well know, every president comes in with these hopes and dreams and things they'd like to get accomplished. And I guess they soon all find out that it's a lot tougher to to affect that change than it is to talk about it. Oh, for sure. I, I, I would imagine that's true of life in general. People, when they interview for a job, are full of <laughs> confidence of all the things they could get done. And probably when they actually get into the seat, it's a lot harder. Life is always more complicated than, uh, you know, what you say. And politics may be just the ultimate example of that. There's no question that it's hard to get things done. Um, there's an irony that, um, you know, for most of his presidency or the last uh, half of his presidency, Obama didn't have any real political support in Washington. And he didn't have much political support in the nation's capitals, uh, the state capitals around the country. Um, so he had a real uphill battle in trying to make whatever changes he thought uh, were required. Trump will have the advantage of having a Republican Congress 
Now we'll find out whether the Republican Congress is going to be helpful to him or there'll be just as much stalemate as there was before. That's an open question. Yeah, because it seems like the Republicans are certainly not unified. I don't think America is unified and I don't think either party is unified. I think there's a lot of division and I think it's unfortunate. I think that we haven't somehow found uh, the leadership that um, can both tell people the truth about the sources of our problems and get them to um, be willing to accept it. It's a lot easier to blame different factions of the country for things that are not going well than it is to sort of unite and try to solve problems. And solving problems is very low on the public's agenda in terms of what they support. Now, I read recently that the economy is really doing very well and a number of jobs have been added, but I guess it all becomes a personal issue. If, if you are not among those people who have gotten a job, then it doesn't matter how good things are on a national level. You, you just don't feel good about things, and I guess maybe those were some of the people that voted for Donald Trump. Well, uh, you know, part of part of the fact is that that way people feel about the economy has as much to do about uh, expectations as it does to do with reality. And there's, you know, a lot of reporting about problems and slow growth and all of that. And people take that into account in thinking about what the future holds. Probably more important um, the world is changing. The economy is changing. There are these global factors that really aren't going to be reversed no matter who's president. And there are winners and losers, like with all changes, like with the Industrial Revolution. There were winners and losers. And there are always winners and losers in times of change. Um, people who feel like they're losing ground are unhappy, angry, um, and they deserve answers. Um, we can't stop the change, but we can help people adjust to the change. I think we've done a really bad job of that, of, of helping people adjust to changes that, that result as, uh, from trade or from immigration or more, more potently from technology and automation, which probably has, made, has been more at the center of changes that have displaced workers than anything else. So there are people who, have, who are feel that they're being left behind, and to some degree, some of them are being left behind. There are, there are negative things about some of that, where some people like to point fingers at other people who are different from them and say they're at fault. That's really not true. What's at fault is the general direction of the world, and that general direction of the world is inevitable. We can try to step off uh, the world's merry-go-round, but we'll just get knocked over if we do. Um, we have to live with that. We have to manage it. But um, there's a lot of, of uh, fairy tales about uh, about you know what can be done about trade agreements, what can be done about immigration that makes any sense because we all want the economy to be larger, the productivity growth to be greater, so that there's more wealth to be shared. There's no question the changes in the economy have benefited some parts of the society more than others, and those are legitimate matters of debate. But I'm not sure that um, addressing those things won the election. So speaking of immigration and specifically 
high-tech immigration. As you know, IEEE USA is, has been a player in the H-1B temporary visa and the green card issue for many years, and you are one of the people we have enlisted to assist us in that endeavor. What do you see coming down the pike in terms of uh, high-skill immigration reform? Well, I think that it's uncertain whether there'll be any legislation on immigration that doesn't involve enforcement. Um, of course, there are enforcement issues that relate to the use of temporary visas. Um, it's certainly my view, and I think IEEE's view, that there are, are, are a number of ways in which the current rules are being abused, and, as well as there are ways in which the current rules are um, not what they ought to be and ought to be changed. It's too early to tell with precision what's going to happen, but if anything, uh, our focus on green cards, not guest workers, to the extent that we need immigrant um, workers in the tech sector, um, will have um, more resonance with the things that um, that were said in the campaign by the Republicans and, and by Donald Trump than they may have had before. Um, a problem we've always had with Republicans is that they uh, they, they wanted temporary visas because they don't like an increase in the number of immigrants. And so the non-immigrants become an excuse. Now, non-immigrants are really a problem because they compete unfairly with American workers, whereas immigrants don't. Um, now, that doesn't mean an unlimited number of immigrants would be helpful, but a, a reasonable number that reflects a growing demand for uh, workers in the tech sector and that reflect the high quality uh, foreign-born individuals coming out of American universities, those those things come together with a reasonable number, not an overwhelming number, but a reasonable number of visas targeted to that supply and demand. Um, Jeff Sessions, Senator Jeff Sessions, who wrote uh, Obama's, excuse me, who wrote Trump's uh, platform on immigration, um, has always understood the competition part of that, but not the solution part of that. Now, it looks like Sessions may be going off to become Secretary of Defense and he'll be less relevant. Uh, Senator Grassley is a, another person who's been sympathetic to uh, our concern about the abuse of temporary visas, but always has been reluctant uh, to increase the green cards to solve uh, all uh, all sides of the problem. We'll see whether um, wh whether now with a, a Republican in the White House uh, he might loosen up a little bit. And Donald Trump said, you know, he kind of made a promise through his campaigning that he would seek to reform the H-1B visa program. Of course, that would have to come through Congress. Do you think uh, congressional Republicans? would be willing to put in some of the reforms that might help to protect U.S. workers so that they don't get replaced by foreign workers and, uh, you know, are forced to train their replacements. These, of course, are, are issues that we've been very concerned about for a number of years, and, and in the last year we've seen it happen quite a bit around the country. Well, first of all, there are things that uh, the Trump administration could do administratively that would uh, uh, enhance enforcement and uh, 
and and put some kind of a of a restraint on the uh, especially the outsourcing of uh, U.S. jobs through um, through these staffing companies that uh, uh, that move jobs offshore and and come in initially to take those jobs by placing uh, replacement workers in the U.S. There's some administrative responses that could occur um, in the Department of Justice and the Department of Labor and in, in USCIS, the Immigration Service. Um, so all of that would be good, uh, and co Congress could um, do some things to close the um, uh, the outsourcing loophole that exists in the H-1B law. Uh, so th those are immediate things that could be done. They don't do anything to, to to help shift the balance over to green cards for those permanent workers who are uh, available to us from U.S. universities. Uh, there will need to be legislation to do anything really fundamental. What What is unclear is what uh, Donald Trump actually thinks on this subject because he said more than one thing during the campaign and some of it was very tough on H-1B. Other sides of it sounded a lot like um, what many others have said, um, confusing the H-1B, which is a temporary visa, with the idea of uh, permanent immigration to shore up our tech sector uh, with needed uh, skills. Now, Donald Trump is the first person elected president who had never held political office or uh, served in the in the military, you know, in a, in a high in a high capacity. I guess the important thing is not necessarily whether he has that legislative or executive experience, but that the people he surrounds himself with, the people he appoints to his cabinet and the people he appoints to his staff, are uh, you know that's really important. Those people would would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, no president can do all the work, and no president can even focus on all of the issues most of the time. So, uh, you know, who's who's in those four thousand jobs that uh, he will that he will fill over the next several months uh, makes a lot of difference. And and certainly his advisors in the White House and his uh, his cabinet members will will you know paint a picture of his priorities and his attitudes. I I'm not. Um, I'm not thrilled with uh, what's happened so far in that regard, but we'll have to wait and see. Bruce, it's uh, it, it was a very negative campaign, a lot of personal attacks on 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 all sides. And do you think? I would like to think that we have sunk as low as we possibly can in in such a nasty presidential campaign. Do you think we can uh, come out of it and maybe be a little bit more civil and talk more about policy in 2020, or do you continue? Do you think things will continue down this negative road? Well, first of all, 2020 is four years away, and there's a lot of work to be done between now and then. Um, I think that we have a media culture that is um, that thrives on the negative and division, and I don't see that changing. Um, and I'm worried about that because the country is being torn apart by um, people who listen to what they already agree with and who are told that the reason the world doesn't work the way they would prefer is because of some other group that's responsible, whether it's the other party or it's a different ethnicity um, or a different geography. 
those are all things that, um, you know, they are not, they didn't come from no place. They, they're out there and they are broadcast and talked about day in and day out um, in, in both in broadcast media and in social media. So that's where our problem is. If Americans, uh, I think Americans are, are rule of law people, some over 80% of the people accept the results of the election, even though, you know, not even 50% of the people voted for Donald Trump. So that's, you know, a statement of our, our underlying democratic values. But we are uh, a country torn apart and where people are not accepting of the need for there to be a big tent and cooperation to take the country in a positive direction economically and socially. Um, I don't know who's going to be able to to grab the, the microphone and say different things. And Donald Trump didn't say different things in the election. He, he really fed on the, those kind of attitudes, and he says he's going to keep on tweeting. So if he keeps on tweeting, we'll have to see what's in the tweets. So, um, you know. The jury is out, and and 2020 is a long way off, and there's a there's a, a midterm election between now and then, so it's far too early to speculate. Um, people shouldn't bury their policy differences; they should talk about them in policy terms, not in uh, scapegoat terms. Well, one thing we know for sure it's it's definitely going to be interesting, and I, and I guess uh, as you as being somebody who's been in Congress and and worked in and around the halls of Congress all these years, I guess you would say it's always interesting. Is that right? Well, the Chinese have a curse. May you live in interesting times. So <laughs> uh, we live with that Chinese curse and, and, and uh, interesting isn't mean good and it doesn't mean bad. It means interesting. Um, and there's another Chinese character, which is both crisis and opportunity um, depending on the context. So um, we are where we are. You can't go back. You have to go forward. And um, I would think that IEEE USA wants to go forward and solve the problem so that its members um, are secure in their economic situation. And that does not only involve them, but involve making sure that their companies can grow and stay within the United States. Well, Bruce, thank you very much for your time and uh, sharing your knowledge and your insight. I've greatly enjoyed this interview and uh, enjoy uh, seeing and speaking with you at all times, and I hope we see each other soon. But thank you very much, Bruce. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're wishing you a very happy new year here from the nation's capital, and it's time now for your IEEE USA conference calendar update. Take a trip out west for the IEEE Green Technologies Conference, Green Tech, on the 30th through 31st of March, 2017, in Denver, Colorado. The ninth annual Green Tech will address one of the most pressing challenges of our times, securing green and clean energy sources for the 21st century to protect the environment and to help build a more resilient power grid. The keynote speaker is Wanda Reeder, Chief Strategy Officer for SNC Electric Company and former VP of Power System Solutions. Panel discussions will include green technology today and the future of green technologies. And don't forget to plan for the IEEE 2017 International Symposium on Technologies for Homeland Security, HST-17, in Waltham, Massachusetts, in the Boston area on the 25th through 27th of April. 
HST 17 brings together innovators from leading academic, industry, business, homeland security centers of excellence, and government programs to showcase and discuss emerging technologies in cybersecurity, biometrics and forensics, land and maritime border security, and disaster and attack preparedness, mitigation, recovery, and response. Be sure to work these conferences into your schedule. For more information on upcoming conferences and to register, go to IEEEUSA.org conferences. Hope you can attend some of these exciting events. I'm Georgia Stelluto for IEEEUSA. Are you still in the mood for gift giving? We are. Each month, we give away an ebook to IEEE members. Through February 15th, members can receive Staying Sharp Volume 1, Tips for Staying Sharp Inside Your Company. Author Harry T. Roman says that during this time of rapid change and shifting corporate strategies, complacency can easily threaten an engineering career. Global competitiveness is unforgiving, and if not sharpened regularly, an engineer's skills can erode quickly. Roman says the key to keeping your engineering career sharp is continuing education. IEEE members can download a free copy of this ebook by going on to the IEEE USA shop site and using promo code JANFREE. 16. That's J-A-N-F-R-E-E-1-6. A complimentary ebook download is available to members each month. Almost 200 ebook titles can be found on our shop site, shop.ieeeusa.org. That's all for today's podcast. I'm Chris McMains in Washington, wishing you and your family a wonderful day. This has been the IEEE USA Insight Podcast. Join us again next month as we take a look at news, information, and updates from IEEE USA. If you have feedback you'd like to share, please connect with us by commenting on our IEEE USA Insight article, send us email at insightpodcast at IEEEUSA.org, visit Facebook at facebook.com slash IEEEUSA, or Twitter at IEEEUSA. I'm John Yaglensky. Thanks for tuning in.